Hi friends, thanks for joining us again this week for uh, just another time of being together and learning together and growing together. Before I jump into our sermon for this morning, just a reminder if you are joining us um, from week to week like this, you'll notice that we have not been including things like music and prayer and other elements, and, and that's largely because we've been meeting in person and it's difficult for us to do both of those things in the same week. So a few things to make you aware of. <clears throat> September 19th we are using as a kind of a relaunch Sunday and we hold all of it loosely because we know um, we just have to go with the flow when it comes to COVID. But we are inviting you, if you've been tracking online and been not sure about when you would return, we are inviting you to consider joining us from September 19th on. And if you are parents with children, uh, one of the questions you've probably been asking is, is there programming for children? And yes, there is. On the 19th, we will begin programming for children. This Sunday, we will be using, uh, September 12th, we'll be using this Sunday as kind of like a practice run for uh, for our children's programming and uh, if if you can come and be part of that that would help us because then we can work out some of the kinks and bugs um, so that the, the weeks moving forward will be um, that much better and uh, and also if you've been a part of serving in our children's ministry in the past and and uh, want to jump back in with that certainly do get in touch with us you can get in touch with christopher at newlifecollingwood.com and um, he will be glad to hear from you. So, just wanted to let you know about that and, uh, and you know, invite you to consider uh, re-engaging. And, and if you're not there yet, that's okay. We're going to continue to offer this kind of a thing uh, online and we will also um, begin recording, I think on the 19th, we will begin recording the actual Sunday service and then post-editing that and then releasing that for you so that you get more of the in-house experience um, after that week. So I want to begin this week by uh, showing you uh, a few pictures and, and telling you a little bit about my workbench. So this summer they did a video here at New Life about me and my woodworking and, uh, and I guess maybe I'm a little more relaxed to to let people in and see that. I enjoy having individuals see it, I enjoy talking about it, but I'm somewhat reluctant to just kind of show it. But, but I think this week this works. So I want to talk with you about my workbench. So I'm going to give you a series of pictures of the evolution of my, my workbench or my workspace. So this first picture is just my bench. I'm kind of looking at the bench top. I built this a few years ago. Um, the, the bottom is uh, Douglas fir. It's made from the cross members of the old um, telephone poles that had those glass insulators on them. And uh, the top is made from uh, some, some old ash boards from a horse stables. And so I started out with just the frame and the bench top. And of course, this next picture is just an end view to kind of let you see what the frame looks like in the top that's on it. And as I built this, I, I kind of designed it, I, I built it, and then I made adjustments along the way. As I was putting it together, I realized, well, that's not going to work. Let's rethink this. And so there was some um, backtracking or fixing some of the mistakes that I made, but eventually I ended up with this bench. 
And then of course, after you use the bench for a while and the holes that are in the top are for some things I use to hold work pieces down and, but I realized I need a vise. So I put this vise on the end and that allows me to hold pieces and work on them uh, specifically uh, in a number of different scenarios. And then after that, I realized, you know, this bottom section is a big empty space. Why don't I add some drawers? So I made some drawers to fit into the, the bottom of the bench. And that allows me to hold hardware and things like screws and nails and little wrenches or, or different things like that that I have easy access to. And then of course, realize, well, why don't I just make this little box that I can hang my drill on so that it's, I have easy reach for my drill, but it's not in the way on top when I'm working on a piece. And then another little slab on the end just for my, my squares that I use a lot for marking, for measuring, um, keeping things nice and square. And then over the last year or two, really, I think largely through COVID, one of my new endeavors is just um, expanding the wall behind my bench with all of these pieces here that you can see that uh, allow me to literally just turn behind me, grab a piece, and keep working at the bench. So it's efficient. Everything's within reach. Uh, it's out in the open. And, uh, and I happen to think it just also creates a nice atmosphere for being in the shop. So that's, that's, my, that's my workbench, that's this evolution that has taken place of, of how I am able to create pieces. It started with, with something small and then it kind of grew from there and, and my workbench evolved to the point that I, you know, the last picture I show you has all of my stuff, but it allows me to create the pieces that I want to make for family, for friends, some of them I sell. and. Um, as I was reflecting, you know, on this week's sermon, I, I couldn't help but think that that's maybe a good analogy for what we're going to look at in a moment. What the Apostle Paul wrote to a, a group of people that he loved dearly in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 1. And I don't know if, if you would think the same or not. I, I think there's an analogy here that that maybe we can run with of how you know as i've been able to use this workbench and evolve it to achieve the purposes that i want i think there's something in there that might help us see what god is up to in our midst and so i want to read for you from philippians chapter 1 verses 3 to 6. And this is what paul says every time i think of you i give thanks to my god whenever i pray i make my requests for all of you with joy for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And I appreciate. I appreciate this, this text so much, especially that last verse. I'm certain that God who began this good work in you will finish it. And I think that's, you know, where I, I feel like there's an analogy here of something that I started in my workbench and it just continues to evolve and I'm not done. My shop isn't done. I will continue to add or take away or fix and mend so that I can continue to create the pieces I want to create. I know the analogy breaks down at some point. I'm not trying to compare myself to God, but I, but I, but I think you, know, you might have something similar where you could look at a hobby of yours or something that you've worked on and you've seen the evolution of it. 
And I think Paul is giving this wonderful word to the people of his day, which I think God still uses for us today, that there's a work that he's begun that uh, he wants to finish. And I just like the fact that the Paul, you know, writing this letter says, every time I think of you, I thank God in verse 3. Every time I think of you, I thank my God for you. And you, you instantly get the tone of the rest of this letter. There, there is a community here that Paul loves. This is a community that loves the Apostle Paul. This is a community uh, that is characterized by love for one another. And as you read through this letter, um, you get the sense of Paul's confidence in what God is doing and the joy that it creates. And it's interesting that he's in prison when he writes this letter, but when he's thinking of them, he is filled with joy. And he's simply thanking God for them. And it left me wondering, you know, what value is there in being thankful for the community to which we belong? And, and, and I can't help but think they're hearing these words being read to them, and they're thinking, yeah, you're right. It's good to be thankful for the people that, have, that God has called together here in this little community. And I wonder about the value of being able to think about the community of faith to, to whom we belong and being thankful. And just saying, hey, God, thank you for the people that, that are gathered together with me. And I wonder what kind of um, changes that makes in a person's mind and in their heart and, and even in their actions uh, when you take the time to stop and think about um, your community of faith, and in this case, it would be new life, you know, to think about your new life family and to say, God, thank you for these people. I don't even know all of them, but somehow you're bringing us all together. Thank you. And I wonder how expressing that kind of gratitude um, influences the way you engage with your community. And I'm kind of I'm thinking out loud as I read this, and it, and it leaves me pondering and wondering the kind of posture that Paul is modeling for us about how we approach community with other people. And in this case, especially people of faith who have chosen to follow Jesus together. It's a reminder of how much we need our family and of how much they actually influence us. And so he moves on from saying, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And then he, in verse 4, says, whenever I pray, I make my requests with joy for all of you. And so it's moving from, you know, more than just being thankful to then actually saying, I pray for you. There are things about you as a, as a community, as a family, that I want to bring before the Lord. And there's this wonderful sense of the Apostle Paul with the churches he began of being someone who just regularly um, prays for them. And uh, sometimes we talk about interceding or intercession for the people in our lives. And again, I'm left wondering what happens to a person's heart and mind when they pray for other people that they are regularly interacting with. And if I could, 
You know, Paul is saying, I pray for you, the people that I love, I pray for you, and yet I can't help but hear the words of Jesus, such as in Luke chapter 6, verse 28, where he says, not only should you pray for uh, your enemies or love your enemies and do good to them, but in verse 28 in Luke 6, Jesus is saying, pray for those who hurt you. Something happens in a person's in a person's heart, in their mind, when they begin to pray for somebody else. And so I've, over the years, had people come to me and say, you know, Paul, I've been really struggling with this person in my life. They're, they're nasty, they're mean, or I've, I've got conflict with them. And I've kind of walked with them and coached them along by asking questions, you know, what would happen if you began praying for this person instead of praying about this person? And you know the difference there. You know, praying about them is, God, this person's a jerk and an idiot. Please take them out of my life or please, you know, give them hemorrhoids or, or whatever it is that you're praying about them. And then you begin to pray for them, to pray for God to reveal himself to them, for God to bless them, to prosper them, for God to give me or give you an open heart of love towards them. And something changes when those people begin praying for the person that they're struggling with, they come back and, and they talk about not only have, has their heart changed, but miraculously, somehow the other person has changed too. And when we pray for people, um, our disposition changes and our sense of connection changes. And in this case, when it's a community that we are part of and we love and we pray for them, I can't help but think something changes in the way we engage with and partner with. And this leads me to something I, I want to make you aware of. We have a prayer network at New Life, and we are wanting to kind of increase its profile and awareness for you as a community. And so if you have a prayer request at any time, if you go to our website, newlifecollingwood.com, and you click on the prayer um, button along the top, you just see the word prayer, you can click on that and anytime you want you can ask us, please pray for me. And then there's a community of people that that gets given to. You can either have it for just the staff or myself or you can ask for our prayer network to be praying together for you. If you would like to join that, in the video description below we are putting a link to be able to sign up, register, to be part of that team, and then you will get regular updates. And we want to create more regular updates where we're praying for um, our New Life neighborhoods, local community things, global things, and then the requests as they come in. So that's all in the video description below. But praying for those we love changes the way we see them and interact with them. And then Paul just begins to thank them for the way that they partnered with him in spreading the good news, uh, in teaching uh, people about Jesus. And so he's saying, from the time you first heard about Jesus until now, you've believed him and you've followed him and you've partnered with me in sharing the good news. It's interesting, uh, the church in Philippi, you can go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, and you can read about Paul's uh, time in Philippi. And I've always found this a fascinating read because this church, you'll read about a young demon-possessed girl. So societally, she didn't have a lot of value for the community. But, um, but she, you know, comes to, is delivered and comes to faith in Jesus. You have Lydia, this wealthy person who's a merchant, who also 
um, joins the community. And then you have this rough and gruff uh, jail warden who also comes to faith. And this first church, one of the first churches that Paul starts, is comprised of peoples that are so radically different. And yet God brings them together with the good news of Jesus. And then the church in Philippi begins from there. And they partner with Paul in spreading the good news. And they had ups and downs. They were, Philippi was an important city strategically to Paul. It was literally a Roman city. So many people there had their freedom. They weren't slaves. Um, they literally had either um, been born into or bought their freedom. There was, there was wealth. There was a lot of emphasis on status and power and, and wealth and personal freedom. And so the challenges of the, of the Christians there were how do we spread the good news about Jesus to people that may not feel like they have much need for him? And I can't help but wonder if there's not a lot of parallels between what the Philippian church were facing and what we have in our communities here today in our region of the Georgian Triangle. Wasega Beach, Collingwood, the Blue Mountains, Clearview. There's a lot of emphasis on wealth and on status and on leisure and personal freedoms. And the trick is, how do we help people who, who really have very few physical needs see what Jesus offers? And how do we help them be willing to give up what they think is good for something that's even better? And so Paul is encouraging them as they partner with him in sharing the gospel. And so how they would do that, um, the message that they would give, how that was phrased, I mean, they were, they were figuring all that up. And they had highs and lows, good times and bad times in all of this. There's about a decade of relationship here from when Paul first started the church to when he's writing this letter. And I think there's some, some wonderful parallels. And, and one thing, you know, apart from, you know, maybe what to say and how that message is given, there's so many variety uh, of options in, in how that could all play out. The one thing I'm convinced of is, is what Paul says later in this chapter 1 in verse 27, when he writes to them, he's saying, Above all, live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And there was this emphasis from Paul on no, no matter what we're saying, um, we've got to conduct ourselves in a way that shows people the authenticity of the good news of Jesus. And if there's not a, a heart change happening in individuals or in the community, then it doesn't matter what we're communicating because it's not going to match with the life change that people are looking to see. And so I, I think that, you know, if there's one thing I'm certain of, it's our willingness as a community to embrace the way of Jesus, to give ourselves wholly to him and to each other, so that the difference that Jesus makes actually is, is visible, is, is palpable and tangible. And then that brings to this final verse here where, where Paul says, and, and I'm certain, I'm convinced that the work that God began, he is going to finish. And, he, and it's not done until Christ returns. And so I asked the question, well, what kind of good work is Paul referring to here? And likely, when you read this, you're likely thinking about yourself, that, you know, God wants to do a good work in you, or God wants to do a good work in me. And he's begun that work, and he wants to finish it. 
And I think there's validity to that, although I think that's actually secondary to the emphasis that Paul is making here. And I think the emphasis Paul is giving is that the good work of which he's speaking is the good work of spreading the news about Jesus, which he just referred to in the verse before this. And I think he's assuring them that what God originally called you to do, which was first respond to the good news yourselves, and then spread that good news, share that good news, partner with him in pointing people to Jesus. God originally called you to that, and he's just going to continue to work in you so that that continues to happen. And, and that will be one of his primary focuses, is that through uh, what Paul is saying to the Philippians, is through you, God will continue to to establish his work and evolve you to be the community that points people to Jesus. And I can't help but think that maybe he's still saying that for us today, not only for the global church, but for us as a congregation, that the work he originally called us to is the work of sharing the good news, of being a good news kind of community and allowing the Spirit of Christ to to transform us so that we can not only tell people about Jesus, but let them see how Jesus makes a difference in our world today. And then, of course, that also moves into transformed uh, hearts of individuals. So, yes, it's the, the work of the good news, but that includes, you know, in what I think is secondary, the the fact that God wants to work in your heart and in your mind and in your life to bring about the changes for who he wants you to be. And then for us as a community to be transformed into who he wants us to be so that we can not only speak the good news, but also live out the good news. And I don't think it's either or. I think they go together. And so it's just an encouraging word that, that God wants wants to do a work in us so that we can continue to partner with him in pointing people to Jesus and in seeing how following the Spirit of Christ transforms us from the inside out. And I wonder how it makes you feel to know that God, that God has called us to this. God has called you into this work. Whether you're, you're investigating for the first time here or whether you are uh, been tracking with us for a long time, God is inviting you, always inviting you to partner with him in pointing people to Jesus, um, this work of the good news. And he, I wonder how it feels to know that he's not going to stop until he's finished. You know, it just brings me back to this workbench that I've been working on for several years now. It just continues to evolve. And yet, its purpose is to work with me in creating the pieces that I want to create. And over the last three years, it has just developed and evolved, and, and it will continue to do so. And I think in many respects, um, God is going to partner with us and he is going to finish the work that he began among us but he's going to do it with us not in spite of us and I think that's just encouraging news for each and every one of us that his whole heart is to bring about the transformation that 
that we long for, that he wants to see happen in us. And then he's going to work with us and finish this job of letting the world know about Jesus. And he's going to do it with us, not in spite of us. And so, just wrapping this up, I want to pray a prayer for you today, for us as a congregation, that, you know, it's the prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippian church originally, and I think it's a wonderful prayer for, for all of us here today. And it's from verse 9 in chapter 1. And so, this is my prayer for us. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous and just character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in today. We do invite you to uh, join us in person next week for our trial run before our launch Sunday. Um, And of course, um, we will still offer online services for you if you're not able to do that. But we have been glad to, uh, to walk with you through this week. And we'll see you next week. Bye for now.